Good morning to you all. At the beginning of our service today, we participated in an age-old tradition that has been repeated and will be repeated all over the world today in various churches. We were challenged with the call, Christ is risen, and we responded, He is risen indeed, yes. And this is not mere ritual. We read in the book of Luke of the two disciples meeting with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. How he spoke with them and ate with them. But it was only later that they realized just who they broke and bred with. And so they immediately rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the others. So they rose up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. That's from Luke 24. So what we've done today echoes what really happened in Scripture and thus its faithful repetition has more than just a passing importance. Although it is surpassing momentous and awesome that the Son of God should be born as a mere human here on earth and it's beyond incredible that he would die on the cross for our sins if he did not rise afterwards to take his place at the right hand of the Father and even those two very, very significant events would not have accomplished their purpose. You see, the circle had to be closed by the resurrection to bring us our most precious and secure hope, which is the hope of eternity with our Heavenly Father. Well, today we're going to dissect that affirmation that we just made. He is risen indeed and have a close look at it. And I believe it will give us a great deal to think about, to remember and praise God both for on this Easter and in days to come. And we will do this with the help of the letter A. So our headings today will be Ability, Actuality, Abolishing, and finally, Ascent. To begin with, who is He with a capital H? Well, of course, He is Jesus. And naturally, there's a great deal I could say about Him, but I just want to focus on one letter today, that capital H in the written He. Why do we do that? Well, first of all, we don't actually have to do that. God isn't going to strike us down if we don't call him, him and he, he. Whilst God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are all names and thereby should, by the rules of common English, begin with a capital, there's absolutely no literary need to do so with these words, he and him. And we also don't find this capitalization in the languages of the original scriptures. So why use it? Well, there's a very good reason, and that's respect. If God is who he says he is, then he is definitely worthy of our esteem. He is Lord, capital L-O-R-D. He is eternal, he is creator and redeemer, and he is so very far above us. So to make a definite statement of recognition for that status, that's what we do. We give him this special form of honor when we refer to God in writing. It is because we recognize his unique ability in all that he does. And that's our first A, the ability of the risen Lord. But why is it so important that the Lord is able? 
it's because it makes them acceptable as payment. All humans sin, every single one of us. And <laughs> we do it such a lot. And every one of those sins becomes a debt to God because he hates sin. And the perfect holiness of his character means that he must punish it. All sins will always be paid for. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no allowances made for any good deeds. And there is nothing, not one single thing that any human can do by themselves or thought by deed that will settle the debt except to pay eternal consequences in hell. But Jesus was able. He was the only one who was able to shoulder such an enormous burden because he was the Son of God. How did he actually do that? Well, he came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect life to fulfill the Old Testament law, then spent three years proclaiming the gospel and finally died on a cross, accused of crimes that he didn't commit. But his death paid the penalty due to God for every single sin of every single human who ever has or ever will live. And that's a crucial payment because it purchases the ability to have an open and direct relationship with God. The kind of relationship that he'd always intended for us to have. If. If we repent of our sins and accept Jesus as Lord. If that condition is fulfilled when we die, we will not suffer the consequences of our sins in hell, but we can look instead forward to eternity in heaven with our Lord and God. And this is only so because Jesus was and is able. Friends, Whenever I've brought something like this, I always feel inadequate because I want to show you how enormous that is. We should all be jumping out of our seats when we hear stuff like that because this is no minor thing. But I lack the words. In fact, they just don't exist. I mean, the best effort I can think of comes from a song that we sing here called The Love of God by Mercy Me. You'll know it. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies, the whole skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry and nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. What God has done for humans, for us, for you, (laughs) is bigger than all of that. Next, not only does he have the ability, but he is the actuality of our salvation. As omnipotent God, we can easily understand that God has the potential to save. He has the power. But thanks be to God, it doesn't just rest there. This potential has become real because He is risen. He has actually saved us. If we repent of our sins and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, it is done, it is real. It is a fact that we can continuously rest our hope on. Let's ponder the meaning of this word continuously. 
How many people here remember Yo-Yo? Yeah? Silly little toy, yeah? Jesus is not like a Yo-Yo. He did not rise only to fall again and then rise again and, and so on. He rose once and for all to reign at the right hand of the Father forever. And so this has continuous meaning for both believer and unbeliever. Let's quickly have a look at a few of those. Well, we've already spoken about the first. He's paid the penalty for sin, not just past tense, but present and forward as well. The sins that you and I are committing and will commit in the future have already been paid for. Well, just imagine how lost we would be if that were not so. Secondly, Scripture tells us that all things in creation belong to him, and he maintains and sustains them all from instant to instant. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. How long is an instant? How long is an instant? Well, the smallest unit of time that has been invented by humans is a thing called the Planck unit, which is equal to 0, 0.0, followed by 42 more zeros, and then 0 0.5391 parts of a second. To better explain how extremely teeny tiny that is, consider that a nanosecond, which is something you're more likely to have heard of, is a 1 followed by 36 noughts longer in time. It's a lot. A lot longer, believe it or not. So a Planck unit may then be understood to be the very shortest time one could wait in a queue. Well, if Jesus, and this is serious now, if Jesus stopped his sustaining work for just one instant, for one of those Planck units, then all creation would cease to exist. Every tree, rock, shrub, bug, flower, human, mountain, sea, gone. And this is what it means when the scripture says that in all thing, him all things consist. So for all of creation, Jesus is at the very root of its reality. Nothing would be actual unless it were for him. Thirdly, Jesus has a continuous interest in every and each believer's life. Well, he does that in a few places. He does this here on earth. Hebrews 13.5 repeats the promise of Matthew 28. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I cannot, I cannot fear. What can man do to me? And he does it in heaven too. 1 John 2.1 My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What we understand by this is that Jesus was present when we were made. He was the channel by which we were made. He went on to save us from our sins. He sustains our physical being now. He helps us every day. 
with normal things and with extraordinary things. And he stands before God the Father in heaven as our advocate. He stands there to argue our case when we sin. There is no space or time at all when it cannot be shown that he is not the actuality, the concreteness and reality of our salvation. And therefore, how can we not give thanks and praise to him for this? Not just at this time of Easter when we think about his death and resurrection, but at all times, for he is truly, truly worthy of all these things. Thus far, we've spoken about Jesus' ability and actuality. He is. But he is also risen. To continue our string of A's, his rising has abolished death and corruption as punishment for those who believe in him as their Savior. Ephesians 2, 14-16 For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. What is this law of commandments referred to in verse 15? Now, before Christ came, God had established his standard for righteousness before him in a set of laws, Old Testament laws that were handed down to Moses. And basically, God said, if you wanted to come to heaven, then you had to behave like he said. All of it, perfectly and continuously throughout the whole of your life. But the truth is, nobody could ever actually do that. Because all people suffer from the weakness of sin and consequently, all mankind was condemned to physical death and then corruption and eternity away from the presence of God. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That sending and that ultimate sacrifice of the son of God, Jesus, meant that for those who believe the standard and the judgment of the law, that, that enmity, that that opposition referred to here, which means God's active hostility. You know, we don't often think about this when we hear that we have peace with God. What is the opposite of peace? What is the opposite of peace? War. If we are not at peace with God, we are at war with Him. We have enmity with Him. Well, what has that been replaced by? It's gone for good. It has been abolished by Christ. So what has replaced them? What does 1 Corinthians 15 say? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we... We will be changed. Now, I have found as the years go by that more and more parts of me have started to ache and not work as well as they used to. Do I hear an amen for that? Yeah, yeah, right. No, it's just me. Oh. 
Well, this is often more than just an inconvenience because pain and disability are depressing and demoralizing in so many ways. They can cause us to draw into ourselves and just shut out the rest of the world, to be bad-tempered or give up the work that God has called us to do. But Jesus' resurrection has given us something to look forward to despite that. Earlier in the same chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, Christ's redeeming work for humans was for the whole person, not just our spirits. His own resurrection is a model of that because he came back to life as a physical person, as a real person. And that's why he's described as the first fruits in this text. And while Christians immediately enjoy the healing of our spiritual nature at the moment that we bow to Jesus, we do have a little while to wait for the redemption of our physical bodies. When Jesus returns to earth for the final judgment, it says that all his people, all his people, whether dead and buried for thousands of years, who knows? Or maybe they'll be alive and kicking. They're going to be glorified. And this is a theological term for bringing the physical body back to the state of perfection that God created it in. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm definitely looking forward to having a perfect body. Because you can bet that our glorified bodies will not suffer from aches or pains or weight gains. Those things will be gone. In fact, they have already been abolished. Do you remember Calfane was jumping up because he's a bit short to show us where we were in that scheme of things at the beginning of the, the service? We have to wait a while. So for the present, dead or alive, we must wait in eager anticipation of Christ's final return. The day we are glorified will be a day of great celebration because on that day, the last enemy death will finally be destroyed and abolished because he is risen. So our final A is ascent. Now kindly note the spelling please. That is ascent with a double S, not A-S-C. Ascent means our expressed agreement when we say, Yes, He is risen indeed. Our ascent is a strong confirmation of our faith. If we merely respond, He is risen, it's really a bit weak for such a singular event. But when we add that word indeed, the emphasis changes we are saying that the matter is beyond dispute. It is a fact. It is accomplished. And we live by its promise. This is the confessing with our mouths part of becoming a Christian. You know, it's one thing to give our hidden assent to Him internally to say, Yes, Lord, I accept you as Lord. But the agreement is really only alive when we speak and live it out where everybody can see it. By our actions, we demonstrate the reality and meaning of our belief. And it ought to be so. Belief and action cannot ever be disconnected for a Christian. 
Our confession is never intended to be an optional extra. Romans 6, 18-14. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's right and good that at Easter we should vigorously cry, He is risen indeed. But the words alone are not enough. They continuously require our action. Jesus really died, but he also really came back to life. We too were really dead in our sins, but through Jesus we have also really risen again to new life. Really. And so we must also show that new life. You must show it. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What does it mean to be an instrument of righteousness? Well, live, work, play in ways that not only says that he is risen, but that he is risen indeed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would live our lives like every day was Easter. That we would be continuously conscious that Christ is risen. And that because he is so, we are saved and that we have a duty, a calling to live as he did, as you call us to to be your instruments of righteousness here on earth. And Lord, we know that we are not strong enough to do that on our own. And so we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, be with us as we go out of here into the world. Let us be your light in a space that has so much darkness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.